Well, Happy New Year, everybody. Well, we're almost there. I am so glad that you are here. Now, today is going to be uh, unlike any other service that you have been to, any other sermon. Uh, we do this probably once every couple years, and that is welcome to Text In Question Sunday. So what that means is that you're going to see the, the number on the screen, and the, and the majority of, the, of this message is in your hands. You get a chance to ask questions that may be related to faith, to life, to things about our church, to things you want to ask personally, whatever it may be. I want, we're going to give you some time to do that, and in a couple of minutes, I'm going to bring someone up from our Next Generation team, our executive pastor, the chairman of our eldership, a professional Christian counselor, and myself to kind of answer the questions that are on your heart and mind as we end up 2023 and go into 2024. And so feel free even now to start texting away because uh, we have a moderator that'll compile some of those things. And yes, they are filtered so that I or you don't get canceled. So uh, we do this on purpose. Now, as we head into the new year, while you're doing that, I, I want to make sure that uh, we're a church and individuals that focuses on Jesus. So that's, that's, that's in light of what's, what's coming up. Here's what I know. 2024 is going to bring um, some anxiety in people's lives because it is an election year. And I want to remind you that we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven first. And so we're going to focus on Jesus. And I'm going to keep put, bringing us back to Jesus over and over and over. That we don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be afraid. That God is in control. That God is in charge. And we can put our trust into him as much as we want or don't want a political candidate or party to be where it is. That's not what's going to make the biggest difference. What's going to make the biggest difference is where are you at with Jesus? And so I want to encourage you as you go into 2024 that by the end of today, this, if you don't get anything else out of today's message, here's what I want you to walk away with. Spend time with God today outside of services and figure out what he wants you to do or how he wants to encourage you into 2024. Okay, so spend time today. You got, you got the rest of this afternoon to be able to say, you know what, God, what is prioritizing you gonna look like in 2024? So we wanna focus on Jesus. Now, one of the ways that I'm gonna do that is uh, I'm gonna be praying tomorrow that the Huskies win and move on to the championship game. So that's gonna be my prayer, you know, to him. But as a church, just as a reminder, uh, we are here to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. This is Jesus' vision for our church. And uh, Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, we are doing it in our language, in the Spokane region, in Washington and Idaho, the United States, and yes, to the ends of the earth. And so I wanna make sure you know that there's opportunities for us as a church to do this outside the walls. Let me just give you two of them as we go into this new year. A couple emphasis that we're gonna be focused on. One is the schools. And so we're looking for more and more volunteers that would love to partner with us in supporting and encouraging the administrators, the teachers, and the students in the elementary, middle school, and high school school students, you know, that live in our region. So if you're interested in that, just let somebody know, go to Connecting Point if that's something you'd like to be involved in. The second thing is that we're partnering with World Relief. Uh, as you know, uh, we live in a, in a world where there's a lot of wars. So people are being relocated all over the world, and many of which are in our backyard that we have an opportunity to minister to. And so we want to make sure that we are followers of Christ, because I start thinking, if my family was in that situation, I would hope that if I was displaced, somebody would love on me. 
and uh, what would come after me. And so whether it be from the Ukraine, whether it be from Syria, whether it be from the Middle East, there's all these different places that people are coming into our region and having an opportunity. And if you're interested in that, let us know as well. Now, many of you have asked, you know, um, how am I doing? How are we doing from our Christmas services? I never knew there was such a thing as a Christmas service hangover, but I had it. Uh, started feeling better about uh, Thursday. Uh, we had 10 total services, eight here at Barker, two uh, at um, uh, Riverside. And to give you an idea, uh, we had the largest uh, weekend, I guess to say, in the history of our church. We were 5,800 people that came to one of our services. 5,800 people. Can we just praise God for that? And it's because you invited them. In fact, I want to apologize to some of you who are here on the 23rd. Because if you were here on the 23rd, we had one service, we probably should have had three. Because there were over 1,100 people that came to one service. To give you an idea, this room holds about 600, 650. So we had this, plus overflow, plus a second overflow, plus 100 people in the lobby. And then our greeters started turning people away that we knew to say, just come back tomorrow. It's just not worth it. And so if you were here and brought a friend and had that experience, it was still a great experience, but not what we had hoped for you. So lesson learned from us, I guess we'll do nine services, you know, next year and add one along those lines. But it really is because you invited people. So I want to encourage you with this, invite them back. Invite them. Maybe you are back because you came. Because next week we're beginning a new series and I want to make sure that uh, you get a chance to invite them back because sometimes people come to an event, but we want to invite people to a journey, to a journey with God in 2024. Now, if many of you have asked, what about joy to the world? As you know, it's an offering we take every year. Every cent goes outside these walls. This year, the emphasis was education in the Philippines, in Uganda, and in the Middle East. And I'm so excited because it shows the generosity of this church. Over $280,000 have already come in for it. Please praise God for that. Amazing. And that was of last Sunday, and we already know that it's probably over $300,000, you know, even now, because we haven't uh, even, you know, counted those things as well. And so I want to give you kind of a little insight, because we're ending up this last year, going into this next one, that uh, I want to let you know uh, is that we're going to be going into the biggest generosity initiative in the history of our church. And that will be the next few years, but it's going to kick off in 2024. It was funny to me. Because literally we had half a dozen people, whether they go to our church or not, who talked to different staff members over the Christmas services and said these words, hey, have you guys ever thought about building a new auditorium? You just don't, you're not big enough. And I was like, hmm, that's an interesting concept uh, because we can't do a thousand services and we know that God is just moving in our region and we want to be obedient to his leading always open-handed, and so we're moving forward with that concept and idea into 2024. And so I want to give you a couple of other updates. Some of you guys have asked about this additional road that's going to go through the Learning Center into Henry. We've had some hiccups with the county, so be praying for our relationship with the county that some of those things get through, but the goal is by summer, because now obviously we're in the winter seasons, that that would be done. Also, as another way to continue to reach the community, our outdoor playground, all the equipment is in, uh, but it's freezing outside. So we're like, why build an outdoor playground now? So by Mother's Day, that will be done uh, for an opportunity again to have an indoor as well as an outdoor playground for our community by Mother's Day, May 12th. And as I mentioned, you know, the goal is, you know, that uh, by 2025, we begin building a new auditorium, have this one become a youth area, uh, more offices, more small group meeting spaces. And, and the number one question I get is, yes, an expanded kitchen. 
So I don't know why that's the question everybody asked. Is there going to be a bigger kitchen? You guys just love food. What are you, Americans? You know, um, and so, yes, there's supposed to be a bigger kitchen, you know, if God provides the resources. So uh, with that being said, though, we're going to be running out of room. You can see this is on the 31st. We anticipate this service starting to have to go to overflow in a couple weeks. Usually happens after the new year. I'm going to encourage you, if you can, Thursday night, we kick back off Thursdays, this coming Thursday, 8 a.m., uh, to try to make room for people at 9.30 as well as 11. Now, our mission, our vision is to reach people for Jesus, and our mission, then, is to be and make disciples. So as I'm becoming like Jesus, I get the opportunity to help other people on their journey. Matthew 28, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be assured of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So we're on a journey to become more like Jesus. One of the things that's gonna help us is starting next week, like I said, we're starting this new series called Dear Church, and it is uh, the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. So there's gonna be got a, a good teaching amount, background, and then there'll be some preaching as well over these next seven weeks as we look at the seven churches in Revelation, as we try to understand what would Jesus write to Valley Real Life? What would he write to you if he were to write a letter? And in all the churches, minus one, he says, here's what you're doing well, here's an area to grow in. And so we're gonna be encouraged and challenged about what does that mean? And so what a great time to invite new people on that journey as well. I want to let you also know the, the series leading up to Easter, I'm probably a little giddy about um, because it's going to be questions Jesus asked. A lot of times we have questions we want to ask God. God, if you're a loving God, why do bad things happen? God, what's going on with this? God, this. Did you know that there's a series of questions, especially in our New Testament, that Jesus actually asks us? And we never think about it from there. And so we're going to look at seven questions that Jesus actually asks us in our relationship with him as well as with other people. But I want to encourage you personally to go on a journey. And here's the journey that I want to kind of challenge you with. First, reach one. Who's the one that God wants to use you to affect somebody for all eternity? Who's that person? And, and, and so every time somebody gets baptized, you can see there's names written on the baptistry. I want to encourage you, if you've not done so, maybe today, write somebody's name down. That you know that God wants to use you to impact somebody's life for all eternity through what you say, through how you live, where you work, where you play, wherever that may be, who's your one? Secondly, can you go with me on a journey to grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus? Then 2024, that you can look back at the end of 24, like we are at 2023, and say, you know what? I've grown more consistent. I've spent more time with him, and it's gone to a deeper level with him and his word and with prayer. In fact, people have asked, well, what should I start? New Year's resolution, here's an opportunity to jump right into God's word. I asked our staff, what are some recommended resources that I could give you as you go into 2024? And here were just a few. Uh, through the YouVersion Bible app, you can always get. Here's the Bible recap by Tara Cobble. It's been uh, one, and through, especially through women's ministry, that was really highly publicized and pushed, saying it was great. Kyle Eidelman you know, uh, has a series called The Good Book. And uh, in fact, our Wednesday morning at 6 a.m., uh, as well as Tuesday nights at 6.30 p.m., men's groups are gonna go through this. And it's Right Now Media is also accessible, as well as the YouVersion Bible app. Also, there's the Daily Audio Bible. For those of you in the car, 
on a regular basis to be like, I need something I can listen to to kind of get me focused. You can pick a lot of plans you know, on the daily uh, audio Bible. You can go through that. There's praying God's truth over my fears would be an example of one of the ways you can do that. And then here's another one. The Bible Project Gospels Devotional on version is a 90-day plan. But here's all I would say. Pick something and then pick a friend to do it with you. It's just like when you say, hey, I'm gonna work out and get in shape in 2024. Ain't gonna happen. Sorry to be a downer <laughs> you know, for you this morning. It ain't gonna happen unless you have somebody else that can encourage you on the journey. All the studies show you need somebody else. So can you find something and someone? That's my challenge for you. Something and someone to go on a journey with Jesus at the center and watch to see as you text each other, hey, what did you get out of today's, today's devotional? What did you get out of when you study God's word? You will find your relationship with Christ going to a whole other level, which leads me to this next part, prioritize Christ-centered relationships. I can tell you, this was one of my things in 2023, that I am a better husband, a better father, and a better man because I prioritized my elders, I prioritized my Tuesday morning group, even the times it was inconvenient, I prioritized and was very intentional with one-on-one -on -one moments that I had with guys once a month that's in my calendar every single point during the year, and I'll tell you, I'm a different person because of it. And I know that we need, it's a we and God relationship, not a me and God religion. And so prioritize Christ-centered relationships. For some of you, that just means commit to being in a life group. Something smaller than what you're coming to on Sundays, where you can be known and know others, whether it be in junior high or high school, college, young adult, marrieds, seniors. We got all different kinds of groups. In fact, one of the best I would encourage you is Rooted. If you've never been in a group before, this is, talk about a great way to kick off the year. This thing kicks off on January 14th. It's a 10-week journey with other people. It's not just a study. It's a true experience. And it's on Sunday nights or, not both, or... Tuesdays. It's here at the church, childcare provided, curriculum's there. It only costs $20, and that's just to cover the cost of the resources for you to go for just 10 weeks. You don't have to do it forever. If you, th if you think the group that you got put in is a bunch of weirdos, you can suffer through 10 weeks and be like, I'm not going to be here till Jesus returns. I get why we don't get in life groups long term. 10 weeks, okay? It's just, it's something that's transformative, and what a great way to kick off the new year. Lastly, Find a place to plug in and serve. What a great way for you to grow. Those of you who served during the Christmas services, you got to see behind the curtain. You got to see what God was doing. There were so many things. I don't even have time to walk through all the things that God did, and you got to see some of that. And so a couple, I've asked our staff, what are a couple of those areas of opportunity? There's always kids' area. As we continue to grow in our kids' ministry, more and more you know, little people growing in their faith. Indoor playground, opportunities throughout the whole week. We're uh, getting a parking team going because we know it can be challenging to get in and out of our parking area. We're looking for people that have gifts in web design, IT services, and social media help. And the list can go on and on, just to give you some ideas and opportunities to plug in. Okay, so hopefully I gave you enough time to submit some questions, because now uh, the floor is now going to be yours. So I'm going to bring up uh, Sarah, who's our counselor, Seth, who's the chairman of our elders, Tyler, uh, who's our moderator, as well as our next generation, Diapers to Diplomas, you know, is what he oversees on staff, uh, and uh, myself, and Jay, our executive pastor, will be up here to answer these questions. What's crazy about us, uh, our, our time is every service is different. 
So, because you guys ask weird questions, which is awesome. Uh, and we're gonna get a chance to do the best we can to answer uh, these to the best of our ability. So I'm gonna turn it over to Tyler. Awesome, we're gonna start with a real softball for Jay. What do you think the purpose of life is, Jay? <laughs> that was the most recent question that came in, so I thought you, we'd just kick us off. Life is like a pickle. It's like a pickle? You got your sweet days, you got your dill days, but most of the time it's just jerking you around. Wow. No? Wow. Does that not work? I need another pastor to replace Jay <laughs> on staff. Anybody in the room? I have a lot of regrets. Um, no, I think it's really simple. It's love God and love people. I mean, Jesus made that really clear. And so, you know, our whole life, our whole purpose in life is how do we love God more? How do we love people more? And the more we love God, the more we draw closer to God, the better we're going to be able to love the people around us. And then uh, in a, uh, it's almost like you planned it this way. Uh, that God also figured out that if we love people more, we actually end up loving him more. Mm. And so it works perfectly in both directions. And so, it, you know, I think a lot of times we try to overcomplicate it and we try to make these tremendously long lists and we gotta do this and blah, blah, all these things. And really, it's just that simple truth, loving God, loving people. That's awesome. <clears throat> Thanks for kicking us off with that one. You didn't like the pickle thing? The, no, okay. didn't. I don't think anybody did. Uh, <laughs> it's fine. I have my one-on-one with Jay on Wednesday. It'll be a good one. Um, so we have gotten almost 70 questions so far, and feel free to keep sending them in. We'll keep uh, uh, filtering them through. Uh, and it's interesting, more so than last service, we have several that, that fit a different, um, different categories. And so, Seth, I wanna uh, start with you. Uh, we've probably had... Uh, no less than 10 questions come in, uh, centered around how do we know, how can we really hear from God? How can we create the habits to put ourselves in a place to hear from God? We talk about this a lot in our life group, and um, <clears throat> you know, it's really interesting. In this world, there are so many distractions. And one of the things we do in this modern age is we open up a lot of portals and the portals are things like internet, video games, movies, all kinds of distractions that are there. And one of the things we have to do is we have to turn off the portals. We have to shut down the portals where something other than Christ or other than the Holy Spirit speaks to us. When we shut those portals down, we can start to get quiet. And I think most of us in this day and age are probably really uncomfortable with getting quiet because we might be scared of what we tell ourselves but that's not actually who we're listening to. We're actually wanting to listen to what the Holy Spirit's gonna tell us. So as we shut down those portals and we really dive deep, maybe into the word or in prayer and just get quiet and say, Lord, and it's just as simple as this. Jesus, what do you want to tell me? But you can't do that when you've got distractions. So that's the primary thing is eliminate distraction. That's good, that's good. Uh, uh, another category uh, that is um, uh, popular in our questions, and we'll go to Sarah on this one, um, is what do we do with the rising um, rates of anxiety and depression, uh, specifically with kids, um, and how do, we, how do we come alongside as a church? How do we come alongside as parents? Um, what does that look like? What are some resources? That's a big one. Ready? Yeah. All right. 
Uh, okay, so anxiety and depression, for the vast majority of people, we experience it at some level. It becomes concerning when it stops us from doing what we need to do, when we can't get to work, when school becomes impossible, when relationships are being hindered by anxiety and depression, that's when we know it becomes a problem. In the area of kids, there's a whole field of that, which is not my expertise per se, but in the area of kids, kids as they're growing, they are learning emotional regulation, and they are learning it from us. So the better regulated we are with our emotions, the better we are able to deal with hard things in a way that honors the Lord, that honors the relationships around us, our kids will pick that up. The problem with kids is they are so time consuming and they are so needy and they are so difficult and we are so busy that we medicate our kids, I know, amen, right? Uh, we medicate our kids with TV, with the screen, with food. We medicate our kids so that they will go and be okay over there so we can do what we need to do. And what we need to do as parents is we need to put our phones down, we need to turn the TVs off and we need to look our kids eyeball to eyeball and we need to work on those things. Increasing rates of depression and anxiety are heavily correlated with screen use. I'm sorry, but video games, TV, even football. Sorry, Pastor. Um, social media in particular, small screens are worse than big screens. These things are actually correlated with high levels of anxiety and depression. So we all need, as, as a, an American whole, we all need to learn how to deal with our icky feelings on the inside. That's the counselor the icky feelings on the inside in a way that actually benefits us and moves us forward. So, short answer, put down your phones. Mm, that's good, that's good. Uh, one uh, question came in uh, as you were talking uh, that people may not know uh, you, Sarah, uh, and what you do. I'll, Dan did introduce you, but can you give just a, a brief like sentence on what your role is here and why you're uh, capable of answering Questions like anxiety and depression, right? <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, I am a licensed marriage and family therapist, um, and I have an office here at the church, and before I was a licensed therapist, I was a pastor for 20 years dealing with birth through uh, young adults. The best age, yeah, I get it, I get it. The most fun, yeah. All right, um, man, you guys keep texting them in, it's fantastic. Um, all right, I'm gonna throw one to myself here real quick. Um, uh, my eight-year-old son told me he wants to get baptized. What are some things to consider? What do you suggest for a talk track on this? First of all, let's just celebrate that. Like, uh, one of my favorite things about getting to come to church here all the time and getting to come work all the time is seeing uh, the, the representation on the cross of the lights uh, representing the lives that God has really transformed uh, just since the beginning of September, which is crazy. Uh, I know my wife got to baptize our oldest um, this last year, uh, which was a huge, a huge thing. So uh, for an eight-year-old, uh, one, we actually offer a resource here called, um, I think it's called Big Splash. Uh, it's, a, uh, it's a little uh, booklet uh, for a devotion for you and your kid to walk through together. I know my daughter and I, I got a chance to go through that uh, this, uh, this summer. She was just deciding through that. And really that resource is uh, designed to help you as a parent feel confident in their decisions. Uh, we do child dedications a couple times a year, uh, which are really parent dedications, if we're being honest. It's for parents to say, hey, I'm gonna commit to raising our kids to follow Jesus, but at some point, they have to make this decision. So if your kid is asking those questions, encourage them in that, um, 
so getting the word together, that's where I would start. Um, but we do have this resource. You can get it at our uh, kids' check-in uh, kiosk um, after any services. Um, and, and feel free then to, to chat with one of our kids' teams if you feel like you have more questions. That's why we're here, to serve you guys, to help you kind of walk through the season of life, knowing that every research that Barna, this big research company, has ever done always says, even today, like they released one uh, just a few months back, that still say parents are the number one influencer in a kid's faith, all the way up until their, their 20s. Um, the number one influencer in a kid's faith is their parents. I know you think they're not listening and that they're not watching, but they are. Uh, and so, uh, so have those conversations. Uh, and then the best thing you can do is model that faith for them, right? If you want them to, to own their faith, model it for them. Uh, walk that journey, the goods, the, the highs, the lows, the bads, all of it, the messiness of it, uh, and then have that. To go back to the eight-year-old question, foster that conversation, give them a resource like we have here, uh, and, and let's start that journey uh, together. Um, so uh, I'm gonna throw myself another question real quick, just because it's related to students. Can there be a kids group on Sunday, sixth grade and older, so that kids can see each other more than once weekly? Um, that's a great question. Uh, we actually do offer that, they're called life groups. Uh, they happen on Sundays for middle school and high school students. Middle school students start back in two weeks um, and high school students start back in a little bit. But we do have winter camp coming up uh, in February where our middle school and high school students and different weekends get to uh, involve themselves. But one of the cool things about our high school life groups, I know, is they do stuff well beyond just hanging out on Sunday nights. They do stuff together. I got a text on Friday night. I was hanging out with some friends and one of our, our high school life groups were doing uh, some crafts together and hanging out that they are really sharing life together. And if your student's not in a life group, um, I would encourage you to do that because it does really build some of those friendships well beyond just the youth group that happens on Wednesday nights. Okay, we're gonna take a huge left turn. Uh, and uh, Dan, this one's gonna go to you. When is divorce okay in God's eyes? That's not a hard one. Uh, divorce is okay in God's eyes first uh, under marital unfaithfulness is what uh, Jesus describes it as. Um, other ways is if you're obviously in physical harm or danger, uh, that's, that's obviously you know, okay you know, to get a divorce if there's you know, major abuse that goes on. Then it gets a little tricky when it comes to uh, emotional abuse and so when people kind of use that word, uh, it's when you need to actually talk to somebody, what does that actually word mean to you? There could be a reason you know, why it gives a license to. Other reasons, it may not be like, no, 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 you're taking it as something or you're using words that actually are not expressing what's truly taking place. You feel hurt, you feel alone, but that actually doesn't necessarily mean or give grounds for a divorce. Now, saying all of that, uh, I've also wanna encourage that God can always redeem. Um, I have seen, been a part of, counseled couples who've gone through marital unfaithfulness and have actually kept the marriage together. And we've seen God do incredible healing and, and powerful work in the lives of, of people who've gone through uh, that kind of unfaithfulness in a marriage. The, the key that you wanna make sure that you focus on when it comes to this idea of divorce, it's, it's not meant to be the first option. It's meant to be the last option. And there's even options before that of separation. You can have separation, you can have physical separation. Have you gone through counseling individually, together, there are usually uh, blind spots, or there are these 
communication loops or the argument loops that you find yourself in when you're going through a marriage and you're like, I don't, we don't know how to get through this. And that's why you need other people on the journey for you to be able to get through this. And as another encouragement, I actually, it's happened twice in our church where a couple actually got divorced and within seven to 10 years later, they actually got remarried to each other, you know, which was absolutely amazing to actually see something like that, you know, happen. I wanna make sure you hear this as well. God hates divorce. God does not hate divorced people. There is a big difference between the two because if you talk to anybody who's been divorced, nobody says, yay, that was a good experience. No one hated it. No matter what side of the divorce you know, uh, that you're on, it is a painful, awful, grueling, hard experience, and God grieves, and he says, I hate divorce. He understands divorce. Israel divorced him. He understands what that looks like, and at the same time, he says to those who've been divorced, I love you. I see you. I can redeem whatever's taken place. You are still good in my eyes, you are not shunned, and just we need to kind of understand that and that stigma sometimes that people you know, misconstrue when it comes to, comes to the scriptures. Uh, but I would encourage you, and when it comes to 2024, is that we've gotta keep working on our marriages. I, I, any, there is no such thing as a static marriage. There is just not. I'll, I'll speak as a guy who's been married 25 years. If I'm not constantly working on my marriage, my marriage actually gets worse. It doesn't ever stay the same. And so there's gotta be regular things that you gotta pour into the life of one another, pour into the life of yourself so you can be better for the life of somebody else, and is God center? Is he the center of that? Because I'm watching as we've come out of COVID, maybe it's just my interactions, but I just see this uptick, maybe it's through anxiety and some of the things that we're talking about here, of marriages that are really strained right now. And I was like, man, what is going on? And is God the center of that? How can we bring these things back together and provide resources and go on this journey together? That's my hope for you in 2024 as well. Great. Uh, let's go to the other side, uh, pre-marriage. Uh, this question is gonna be for Sarah. Um, what does God have to say about sex before marriage and where's the line? You actually want a physical line? Uh, that one of the questions literally asked for what, like, what's the physical line? So, I mean, you can take it wherever you want. Uh, so God says don't. And, and I'm gonna give you a more, a more clinical answer as to why it is instead of just the church answer. So when we engage in this amazing, in this amazing thing, sex, there are all of these chemicals that happen in our brain and we actually become, our brains start attaching to who we are intimate with. I wanna keep it as PG as I can. Who we're intimate with. And we want all of those ding, 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 awesome to be attaching to the person that we're going to spend the rest of our life with. So we want to save that ding, ding, ding attachment to the person that we're going to travel through our young adult and adult and old age with so that our brains become attached. That's what Jesus says, the two will become one. And so the use of pornography, the use of messing around and doing all those things, our brains become attached to a bunch of different things. And then our brains actually aren't as attached so if you want a strong marriage, and so many young adults and single people are saying, man, once I decide that I'm gonna get married, I wanna be married forever, and I don't wanna see the divorce rates, I don't wanna go through those things. One of those ways is for all of your brain chemicals to become attached to your one and only. So that's why God says save it. It's not just because God is a killjoy, it's because God wants all of your brain chemicals to be attached to the one and only. 
your one and only, so that you're not attracted to other people, so that you're not straying, so you're not craving something that you don't have. So where is the line? The question is, is how attached can you be to Jesus Christ as you're a single person? How attached can you be and how much of your brain energy can you spend devoted to serving the Lord until God brings your one and only with you? And then you can serve the Lord together. So the question isn't how far can we go? The question is, is how far can you go with Christ? Because when you're excited about Jesus, when you're excited about serving him and you're sold out to his plan for your life and you're serving other people, the desire to just be physically intimate with somebody else, all those hormones, they're great. God gave them to you. There's a whole lesson in that. Come to youth group. So God's given you that. But the goal as a single person is to be free and unattached and run as far and as fast as you can with Jesus Christ. Because once you get married, that's all gonna change. So where's that line? The line is line up with Jesus. Not, well, can I kiss, is that okay? Is if I touch, is that okay? Should I stay out of the no-no zone? All the youth group stuff that we talk about. <laughs> That's not the issue. The issue is be passionately in love with Jesus Christ and be chasing him down and wait to attach your brain chemicals and your body chemicals to your one and only so that it's the, your one and only forever. Thanks. Thanks. RJ, you get one. You got an applause. Well, they like the no-no zone. That's what they're clapping about, the no-no. Jay, what is the plan to continue VRL's small, personal, and connected feel even though we are planning on expanding and getting bigger? Um, We're going to continue to do exactly what we have been doing, and that is the bigger we get, the smaller we want to get. And and that means we're going to continue to emphasize and emphasize and emphasize um, life groups, getting into smaller places of community in every ministry that we have across the board, uh, even down with the, uh, starting with children. We start, to, we start it uh, right from the very beginning. They have large group time. They have small group time. They start to learn to experience that and value that from the, the very early age. We Obviously, uh, Tyler was talking a minute ago about doing that with middle school and high schoolers, and we do that with adults. Everything that I talk to about with all of our different ministry teams and uh, the different team leaders is, okay, great. Yeah, love that you're doing that. How's that gonna get people into smaller places of community? Uh, how's that gonna help them to take a next step into smaller places of community? And if they can't show me that, then I'm like, okay, we need to go back to the drawing board and figure that out. Because the bigger we get, the smaller we're gonna need to get. Um, it's really interesting. Uh, I've actually been a pastor in a very small church. Uh, I was a, a lead pastor at a church of about 125 at one point. Uh, when I got there, and then uh, I've also been in churches that are even bigger than, than VRL is, and um, it's really interesting that the, the level of connectivity and, and personal connectivity that people experience is actually easier uh, when churches are larger because they have these types of things. In smaller, people tend to be a little more cliquish and a little more isolated and those kind of things. That, that happens more easily, and so the bigger you get, Uh, it actually facilitates this idea of moving into these uh, small environments, uh, which we call life groups around here. So uh, we're gonna stay on this same course. We're gonna continue to emphasize it over and over and over. As a matter of fact, uh, every year Dan shares, you know, our word of the year, which is invest in this year. It's invest in life groups is is one of the the key takeaways or key parts of of that uh, um, thing that we're going after, actually for the next couple years that God's, uh, led us to. So we're continuing to emphasize this over and over and over. So every time you do anything, think about how can I get into a small 
place, a small uh, environment, and that's what's gonna help you to stay connected. Great. Seth, one for you here. Uh, says, I've been in church most of my life, but don't remember ever being baptized. How important is it for me to get baptized instead of just going on my faith journey without it? I love that question. You know, the thing about it is, it's a matter of a heart posture. What is really our heart? Is our heart totally devoted to Jesus Christ? Are we a person, a man or a woman after Christ's own heart? What was Jesus' example and how old was he when he got baptized? You know, it's really a question of, is this something that you're wanting to really take on for yourself and make it fully yours and be fully in, in um, a place of following Christ's example? The real question is not when should I get baptized or should I get baptized, it's why wouldn't I get baptized and what's really at the basis or at the foundation, the root of that question? Because it could be something to do with pride, it could be fear, it could be a, a, a lack of understanding of your identity in Christ. You may not know who you are in Christ, but when you fully understand what the root of the issue is that's keeping you from following that example of Jesus Christ, then you'll really get to the answer of that heart posture and God can really do work there and the Holy Spirit will guide that. So it's never too late to be baptized and it's very important. Um, so that's it. That's good, that's good. All right, Dan, I'm gonna throw you one last question uh, and then you can close this out. Uh, the schools today are a battlefield and our kids are the prize. Why isn't there more of an emphasis on creating a school associated with all the Spokane real life churches that allows us to influence our kids 40 hours a week instead of sending them to a place that is counter to our values and beliefs? Yes, yeah, so uh, Jesus has called us a couple things, is to be in the world but not of the world. And so we have a desire uh, someday to be actually be able to start a school on our campus. That's something, if you've been around here for a little while, that's something we've, we've wanted. But I can tell you this, I ain't leading it. You know, I don't have the experience. You know, I am not the right person. Uh, but we have this acreage that's right near the top of the hill that is one of the ideas that's there. We're just waiting for God to bring the right person. We've had conversations, you know, with uh, my daughter goes to the Genesis, you know, school that's connected. Uh, it's meeting in the Real Life Ministries in Post Falls, you know, about what does that kind of partnership kind of look like. Uh, we have relationship with the other Christian schools, you know, that are around here. We get to, uh, invited to go either speak or talk at those kinds of things, and we're supporting, you know, of them as well. But not to the exclusion of what's happening in the public schools. Because many, many, many men and women, Christ-centered men and women who go to our church are teachers and administrators and coaches who are making an incredible difference, although the things that are coming from Washington can make that challenging, especially with some of the forced curriculum, the stuff that's being challenging to those teachers. But I can tell you firsthand, we have dozens and dozens of Christ-centered men and women who are making an incredible impact for Jesus with their kids as well as other kids in their classrooms and in the places in which they're coaching. And so we wanna support them as well. And so there's both and. It's not one or the other. As the world gets darker and more challenging and more difficult, our response is not to fully retreat from the darkness. It's actually to shine a light in the darkness, and that's hard. And then this is where I get, but at the, for the sake of our kids, no. You don't throw your kids in the idol of that, but there's lots of options for your kids, some of which are completely fine. I'll give you an example. My own home would be the perfect example. 
My daughter needed to go to a private school. She needed a Christian school. She needed the smaller environment with uh, her being adopted and going through some of the things that she's gone through. This was the perfect environment for her. My two sons went to public school. And both my two sons, as far as I know, they're still following Jesus, okay? They're shining a light for him, you know, uh, in those environments. Uh, my son is at a college, not a Christian college, you know, and I just love hearing the church he's connected to and the Bible studies on campus and the football team and the, and the outreach that they're doing, that kind of stuff. I'm like, well done. And so I've, I've got both in my own family. So that's what we wanna be as a church to find ways to support both as we continue to move forward. That's awesome. Again, I wanna reiterate, uh, you guys sent in some great questions, many of which we did not get a chance to answer. Uh, I would encourage you to, to a keep asking those questions um, and uh, keep pursuing those answers uh, here, uh, other places as well. And so uh, thank you for that. Dan, you wanna close this out? Yeah, can we thank these guys you know, for being here? Dan, I wanna ask you this first one. Um, outside of the Bible, what's the most influential book you read in 2023? Um, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry is probably uh, one of the most influential books that I read in 2023. Um, I, we did a sermon series on it, you might you know, remember, but that book um, just challenged the heck out of me. The other one that I would say, though, is The Cure um, by Bill Holt? Thrall. 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 Bill Thrall. Uh, that, one, that one just opened my eyes to um, what is performance faith versus trusting faith, and there's a difference between the two. What does it mean to be in relationship with God and to live out a faith that is not based on approval or acceptance, but based out of love and grace and joy? And so I would say those two, and if I were to pick one, for us as a culture and congregation, it'd be the cure. The cure would be that one. Awesome. All right, Jay, this next one's gonna come to you uh, as our executive pastor. Dan's talking about uh, this year as we go into uh, talking about expansion. Uh, how is the church doing financially? Um, yeah, we're doing uh, very well. Very well, very strong, very stable. Um, we've, uh, we've got, I, I mentioned this a few weeks ago uh, when I was uh, preaching the sermon, the, uh, our elders oversee our finances you know, at a high level and they make sure that we're staying on track and we're hitting certain markers. And so we're very well monitored and very well cared for on that perspective and then we give reports to them every month. But uh, yes, you guys are doing a great job. We have a very faithful congregation, very generous. And so our finances are strong. Uh, we're able to uh, really accomplish, I think it ultimately translates into, we're able to accomplish everything that God is putting before us. And so sometimes we make our, our plans for the year, and sometimes those things happen. Sometimes they don't, not because of finances, but because of circumstances, but then new things pop up. And uh, everybody's faithfulness, make sure that we're all, always able to meet uh, what God's putting before us. Awesome. Seth, question for you. What would you want someone new to VRL to know about the church? What do we value most about our time in this place? You know, it's, it kind of goes back to the thing that most impressed me when I first came to VRL. And that is I want people to know the love of the people here and just feel it. It's one thing to talk about the love that we have for others, but it's another thing to really feel that love. And so I want them to know that they're accepted and that they have an opportunity to come and learn more about what a walk with Jesus Christ really looks like. 
And I want them to know that we accept them for who they are, but we also understand and see who God called them to be. And that is really the most amazing thing, is stepping into what God already says we are when we accept him. And so that's what I'd want them to know. That's awesome. Anybody else wanna answer to that? As far as if you're new to VR, if somebody's new to VRL, uh, what you would want to, them to know about us? Um, probably the biggest thing I would want them to know about us is that for us, uh, as far as the discipleship journey is concerned, it's all about steps. Uh, you know, a lot of times we can talk about a lot of things and Dan challenges us on a weekly basis in amazing ways, but uh, it sometimes can feel like, oh gosh, I don't know, what do I do next? It's just, it's just steps. We have an ABCD process that has different steps throughout and steps within steps and you know, it's just taking what is, what is that one next step? It doesn't have to be a leap, it doesn't have to be a journey. Sometimes we think, where am I gonna be a year from now? Don't worry about a year from now, worry about tomorrow. What am I gonna do tomorrow? What's the step I can take tomorrow that walk, walks me closer and closer to Christ? That's good, good. Sarah, question for you. How do I get past feeling like God has abandoned me in my time of need for connection and reassurance? You get the easy ones. Yeah. <laughs> I love that question. I think when I read, when I read scripture, um, all the way through, particularly through like the poets, there's these honest confessions like, God, where are you? Where, where have you been? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you left me? If you look at David, you look at Isaiah, you look at, you look at Jeremiah, these guys are saying the same thing that we're saying when we feel like God has abandoned us and left us. And the truth is that we feel alone, but we have never been alone. That God says continuously, I was there when you didn't feel me. I was there when you felt like the waves were gonna wash you away. I was there, Israel, when you were in slavery. I was there when you were wandering through the desert. I was there, I was always there, and I always will be there. But practically for me, I feel God's presence when I'm connected authentically to other people who have faith in Jesus Christ. So when I look at my friend across the coffee table and I'm like, I'm really ticked off that God has not solved this problem for me, and my friend looks back at me and goes, you know God's in that too. That my friends can pull me back to the truth of God even when my feelings that God has abandoned me are there, my friends can pull me back. Or when I open scripture in the morning over my own cup of coffee, you probably hear that I'm addicted to coffee. When I open scripture and I look that God says, I've always been there, I am there and I will always be there. That's good, that's good. All right, because I'm the moderator and I can do this, I'm gonna throw a question to myself. Um, uh, the question is, what is the best book or reading to start really introducing the word to a kindergartner? So uh, I feel qualified to answer this for two reasons. One, uh, I get to oversee our next generation ministry. Uh, I also have a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a four-year-old. Uh, and so I would say two, two quick tips. Uh, one, be in the word yourself. Uh, my kids are super curious. And so when you're in the word, they become curious about what you're doing. Uh, for instance, I was building some shelves yesterday uh, in one of my kids' rooms, and my seven-year-old son was like, Dad, can I help you? Right, like simply because I was doing something, he wanted to come and be a part of it at that age, right? When they become teenagers, they less wanna be a part of it. Um, but when they're at that age, so in, invite them into that uh, as well. Second is a resource. Uh, there's a book called Core 52, it's written by a guy named Mark Moore. 
uh, a pastor in, in Arizona. Uh, there's an adult version, there's a teen version, which is great, uh, but our family over the last year has gone through a Core 52 family version. And again, I said I have a four-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a nine-year-old. They all come at different levels. One can read, or two can read, one can't. You know, it's all different levels, uh, and yet it takes 52 passages of scripture uh, and helps them commit it to memory. Uh, Core 52, I'd invite you to, to, to do that, whether you do it in 52 weeks or you spread it out because uh, life gets busy. Uh, it, it has helped my kids, uh, specifically my first grader, really get excited about learning scripture. Uh, and uh, so that's been a, a great resource uh, for our family. Um, all right, Dan, how many points do you think uh, the Huskies are gonna put up tomorrow? I think in order to win, they gotta go over 30. So I'm guessing a 31-28 game because they can't blow anybody out. You know, it doesn't matter whether they're playing Washington State, you know, or whether they're playing Oregon. You know? Wow, so, tired. Uh, it's wow. A, it's, they play every game close. It's catching strays out here. All right, all right. That was for Steve Allen since yeah, he's sitting yeah, yeah. in the back. <laughs> all right, uh, Sarah, let's go back to you. Uh, how do I really find out my God-given strengths or talents? I've taken all the personality and strength finders tests, but I still don't feel like I know or how to use them anyway. I think we, I have value in tests. I should say that as a educated scientist. However, I think it starts with what we love, what we, what we get fired up about. And for some of us that really maybe are on the fringe, what do you get really ticked about? That's often um, a cue into what, what God has already put in us. When we get really angry about something or something really energizes us, there's something that we just love to do, I think that's where we start. And as we move along, it's easier for God to sort of kind of push us in one direction or another, but staying still and just taking tests and thinking, well, I'm waiting for this holy revelation. Oh, what does God want me to do? And what are my unique giftings? We all have a lot of giftings and we all have a lot of phases that we go through in life. And so when we have not a whole lot of time, we might be invested in doing one kind of thing. And as we age and as our kids get older and our jobs are a little more secure and stable, we have a little more freedom, we have more time to do other things. But I would say cue in number one to what gets you excited or what ticks you off. Now we don't serve out of anger, but that often is a cue like our spirit says, there's something not quite right, so I need to go fix that if you're just disoriented. So I would say find what you love or what gets you excited or what makes you pop out of bed in the morning and then start talking to other people. Who else is like that? And how can I use that to serve the Lord? I was sitting with a kid who is 16 years old and got super excited about serving the Lord through summer camp. Way to go. And um, this kid just said, as I wake up every morning before I put my feet on the floor, I ask God to help me use what I have, which isn't very much. 16-year-olds don't have a lot to offer except energy um, and enthusiasm. Sorry, parents. And how can I use that gift to serve the Lord? And so this kid has done a lot of things over, over the break, not because it's particularly gifted or talented, but because he just said before, every day before his feet hit the floor, how, Lord, how can I use what I have today to serve you? And I would say that his life is evidence of God working in him. Great, great. Uh, Dan, come back to you, uh, so I don't give all the financial questions to Jay. Um, is debt a sin, and how do we justify debt if it makes us a slave, as the Bible uh, writes? 
Yeah, so uh, yes and no. It depends on what kind of debt. And so uh, debt is not a sin. If debt was a sin, then God would not actually tell the nation of Israel, especially in the Old Testament, to borrow, to lend, you know, to be there for one another. But it does have terms on it. It does have financial understanding responsibility. There's also bad debt and good debt. You know, bad debt is, like in our culture, credit card debt is bad debt. You know, it's a depreciating. There's appreciating assets and depreciating assets. What you also wanna make sure is that you are not overspending what God has actually provided. So there, you, you can go, you, we point to one, you know, slave to the lender. Well, you know, there's about 40 other scriptures that talk about, no, you can do debt in this situation, that situation, this situation, but don't be in a situation where you are so indebted that you have to actually become an indentured servant, which is the slave, that's what the context of that verse is. I love Dave Ramsey, but that's the context of that verse is that slave to the lender is that I have to actually now put myself underneath the will and authority of someone else as they oversee that. And so you just wanna be very, very careful as you walk into that. Uh, most people in, in our uh, um, society uh, uh, have home debt, uh, but many of you, you know, have incredible equity in the home that you do have debt in. And so is that financially unwise? No, it's actually financially wise, you know, in many ways, shapes, and forms. Great. Seth, next one coming to you. How do you approach a sibling about Jesus when he or she is against, quote unquote, the hypocritical church? You know, it's kind of interesting because, and I go back to what I always default to. People have to see it and feel it. It's not something you can tell them. And, you know, the fact of the matter is that oftentimes in our ministry opportunities, whether it's a family member, a sibling, or another person that you encounter in your, in your work or play or anything like that, it's our example. You know, people wanna see that we actually exhibit the characteristics of Christ. We don't just talk about it and then do something different. We have to actually show that, and sometimes it's not through our words. You know, Dan did such a great job of, of kind of sharing with us that balance of grace and truth. And in anything that we do, we've gotta balance the truth of the gospel with showing the love and allowing them to feel that divine influence on their heart. Because that's really, at the end of the day, that grace is something that we can't do and we can't control. But the Holy Spirit is interactive in people's lives and he operates and he's calling, Christ is calling. And all we have to do is not get in the way of that by having our own agenda, but to allow the Holy Spirit to work in someone's lives through our actions, through our words, and, you know, really, church, I think a major thing is that we need to be the same people on Sunday that we are on Friday night and Saturday night. And that's a really awesome example, and that'll speak volumes to family members and siblings. That's a phenomenal answer. That's better than Dan could have given. All right. <clears throat> Jay, next one for you. Uh, you get the politics question. Uh, in this, uh, it seems in this day and age that many try to make Christianity a political tool on both sides of the aisle. How, as Christians, should we respond to those who try to tie Christianity to one political ideology or another? I think that's a good question for Dan. No. <laughs> I, I do love that question because it fires me up. Um, we did a series... <laughs> 
a little over a year ago or two uh, called The Separation of Church and Hate. And one of the mistakes you know, that Christians have done is they've attached their Christianity to a political party instead of the political party being underneath their Christianity. And there's a big difference between the two. And as soon as it becomes this Christian nationalism idea and this agenda that if we get the right person or a right you know, political ideology in office will become the Christian nation that we were always meant to be as if we're the chosen people from God, the second Israel, the second Jerusalem, we have mischaracterized and misread the way that God works, which is why I'm gonna invite you to come back to these next seven weeks as we look at how did a ragtag group of rebels change a nation over a couple hundred years from being the most persecuted, you know, ostracized group of people that the nation, the empire, becomes followers of Jesus Christ. It's not what we think it is. And so as followers of Christ, we need to elevate the name of Jesus and his word above, not political party above. And that's where we're coming across you know, to the world you know, in a mischaracterized way. There is no perfect party. There is no party that aligns 100% to Jesus. There isn't. Now, I know you can say, well, this one's a little bit more so. Yeah, you know, you can, you can say that on a lot of different spectrums. But there, I can also point to you, yeah, but have you thought about this as it pertains to this verse? And so we wanna be very, very careful when it comes to our political ideologies and what drives us versus our kingdom ideologies and what drives us because that is what unites people. It's crazy to think who Jesus called as his followers. He called a tax collector. Talk about, let's just put them on the political left and then he calls a zealot. Talk about as far right as you can be. Take a full left and a full right, and he says, you guys are gonna be my followers. I'm gonna pour into you. Imagine the campfire conversations around that table, you know, where this zealot is here to actually find violent ways to overthrow the government, and the tax collector has given in to the government and actually is persecuting his own people, and now they're sitting around together following Jesus because Jesus is what unites if we focus on him. And it's, he was so intentional when he did that, when he chose all the diff, different people from so many different backgrounds, which we'll have a fun time talking about in the next seven weeks also. Sorry, Jay. No, I'm glad I made a joke. That was, uh, that, was good. that was a great response. And I just want to say, that was exactly where my mind was going as well, which is it, it, you're getting things out of order. When, when you're thinking that way, you've got to put first things first. In other words, you, your faith in the kingdom, like Dan was talking about, that's got to drive your worldview and, and how you see the community and how you see your family and how you see our country and all that, that's gotta be driven by a kingdom mindset. And then politics and stuff, that should align after that and as a result of that, not the other way around. We, you know, Americans in general get that, get that backwards and Christian Americans in particular get that backwards. We let our politics often drive our faith and, and often even drive our faith decisions where we're looking to the government or, or a political party instead of looking to the Bible and to what God teaches us. It's good, it's good. Okay, I wanna ask each of you the same question. Have you guys all answered this last question? <clears throat> At Christmas, we talked a lot about hope. So as we look into 2024, what's one hope that you have for this next year? You can go a bunch of different ways. It can be personal, it can be for the church, it can be for the kingdom, it can be a, a lot of different ways. But as we go into this year, a lot of things to look forward to. 
What's one hope that you have looking into this next year? I'll go ahead and start. I, you know, I think more than anything, and I go back to what Jesus prayed for his disciples, and that his hope was that we would be in unity and be unified under his name. And I think that's the biggest thing that we can do and the most impactful thing we can do is to maintain a unity in the gospel of Jesus Christ, in knowing him, and come together as believers to love one another well, to love and support each other for the mission that he's called us to. And we can't get you know, sidetracked on the real mission, which is to be disciples of Christ and make disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, you stole mine. The, uh, um, I will add a second hope, which is along those same lines, and again, being and making, uh, that you would, you would decide today that there is you know, one, two, or three people that you're gonna start praying for throughout this year and that you're gonna find opportunities to invite you to, to invite, invite them into something here at BRL. Invite them into a men's breakfast. Invite them to uh, one of the ladies' gatherings, you know, Wednesday mornings or, or one of the conferences or whatever that we do here, that you would invite them to come join you here. There are people that need Jesus Christ. Um, there are people that are searching for Jesus Christ and they need somebody to help lead them there. And God is calling each and every one of us to be that person so that at the end, my hope is at the end of 2024, you can say, and Dan was talking about this earlier, write names on the, on the baptistry, you can say, look, this is, this is the one. This is that one person that I helped bring either into a first-time relationship with Christ or back into a relationship with Christ. Healing, I think, is, is the word that I come to. I hope for healing every day in my office, in my personal life, in my professional life. I am faced with challenges that are so far beyond what I have capacity to even move towards solution. And there are things in my personal life that are really difficult and seem so hard. And I wonder, is God there? Does he care? And so my, my hope this year is for healing, both for the people that, that move through my office that are broken and hurting and so desperate to know that God cares, that they would find healing in Christ. And then also the things that are personally challenging for me, that God would step in and heal those in a way that I would go, aha, God was in it all the time. Tyler? Um, <clears throat> my hope this year is just to see Jesus more clearly. I think for the last couple of years, that's been my hope for uh, our students uh, that we get to work with, that whether they know Jesus, uh, that they would see him more clearly or they'd see him for the first time. But I think for me, uh, selfishly, this year, that's my hope for me. Just that 2024 will be a year that I get to see Jesus more clearly. Uh, I, I can't, probably because I did it eight times, but I just can't get this verse you know, out of my head from last weekend, which is my hope is this prayer in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. I pray that God, the source of hope, as we go into 2024, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's an order there. As we trust in him, we then receive the promise of joy and peace. And the healing that Sarah's talking about, that's, that's my hope for us. That as a church made up of individuals, that we will put our hope, our true hope in him, in him alone, 
which will then bleed into other areas you know, of our real lives. Awesome. All right, can we give these guys a hand? All right, I actually wanna start this service uh, with a question for each of you, okay? So it's a variation of a question that's come through uh, a couple different times, but one book outside of the Bible that has spiritually impacted you recently. I'll start. So uh, this was one of the questions that was asked at eight o'clock. For me, the most impactful book of 2023 was The Cure. Uh, I would strongly recommend that, especially if you've been a Christian for just a, a while. Uh, it's just, it walks through the difference you know, between doing things to please God versus doing things out of trust and relationship with God. And, it's, and it just, the way it does it in a fable and story form, it's just phenomenal. So I would just encourage you with The Cure. I'm gonna give you my favorite book of all time. The Bible. It, the Bible. <laughs> Uh, it's called Hind's Feet on High Places by Hannah Hernard. It's a book that's out of print, but you can still find it. And it is an allegorical book about fear and anxiety holding us back from what God is really asking us to sacrifice for him. And then how he creates in us a new being beyond what we could ever imagine as he takes us through trials and hardships. What's it called again? Hind's Feet on High Places. Okay. Um, yeah, I would say, uh, I was actually, my wife and I were on vacation. She's like, you should read this. So I grabbed it, and it was called The Prodigal God. And um, it's just a, a, you know, it's, it's based about the prodigal son story is what we usually refer to it as. But it actually talks about the fact that God is actually more of the prodigal in that. And we think of the prodigal being like wayward, wandering, those kind of things. And it's not. It's about the radical kind of crazy love of God. Um, and how he shows that to each and every one of us. And so, uh, great book, great book that was just kind of hit me in the heart. I think of the book by C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting because we're under challenging times right now. And when that book was written, it was written as a, basically what today we would call a podcast, but it was for radio audiences. And it was... Um, C.S. Lewis apologetics to the British people during a time of really challenging circumstances during World War II. So that was a really good one. Uh, I'm gonna give two, I'm gonna break my own rule. Um, but uh, the first one would be for somebody who has been a Christian for a while. There's a book uh, released in the last couple of years called Unoffendable um, about how uh, we should probably stop getting so angry about things as Christians. Um, so I would highly recommend it. And then people young in their faith, uh, one of the best books I've re read recently is a book called Garden City uh, by John Mark Comer. Uh, just talks about identity and work and rest, uh, all things that as young Christians, uh, we can get uh, just misplaced. And so uh, those are two from me. All right, Jay, here's a question. What is VRL's denomination and how do I figure out what denomination is best for my faith? Okay, um, we are what's called a non-denominational Christian church. And so uh, we are a non-denomination denomination, so to speak. Um, so it's, it's kind of this crazy thing. We're also having to be a brotherhood of sister churches and I'm not sure how that works. But uh, um, it's true, it sounds like referred to. But uh, anyway, the core of us is we come out of a movement called the Restoration Movement, and that's kind of the core of who we are. And uh, trying to keep it as short as possible, we start with the early church, which turned into the Catholic church, which turned into the Reformation, which is most of the denominations that you see out that are not Catholic are part of the Reformation. 
And then out of that came the restoration, which people said basically, you know what? Why don't we get back to New Testament Christianity? We want to restore New Testament Christianity. And so that's what we're a part of at our core uh, is the restoration movement, just trying to, trying to do Bible things in Bible ways, and, uh, and that's who we are. So we're a non-denominational church in the fact that we're an independent church, but we do associate and connect uh, with other churches that are just like us, but we're not under any governing denominational authority. We're under the authority of guys like Seth and our group of elders that uh, exercise uh, independent leadership over our church. Um, now, how do you decide what denomination that you need for, what, for your Christian growth? Was that yeah. it? Uh, you don't, because it's not about deciding your denomination for Christian growth. Uh, just focus on the scriptures. Focus on being a believer. Focus on being a follower of Jesus Christ. Be and make disciples, and then you're going to grow in your relationship with Christ. Don't focus on any particular denomination, not this one or anybody else. Focus instead on uh, being like Jesus. That's good. That's good. Oh. Jay got our second applause of the day. Sarah got the first. Way to go, Jay. Um, That's it, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Seth, I'm going to throw you a question that we've gotten uh, no less than four times uh, this, this session. Um, how do I know when the right time to get baptized is? Okay, uh, I think we kind of went through this last session a little bit too, but you know, it's kind of interesting. I, we had an opportunity during Easter to see the response of a lot of people to the question of, hey, is this the time for you to accept Christ in your life? And it was pretty powerful. And some of the testimonies that I heard were really amazing. Here's what I would say about the right time to be baptized. The right time to be baptized is when you have an understanding of what salvation means in the sense that accepting Christ, accepting God as your Lord and Savior, and when you kind of put that question before Jesus and you say, Lord, am I in that heart posture? Is this a time when I've made the decision to follow you 100% and to completely devote my life to you and follow you? And Lord, what is the next step? And Holy Spirit will guide you in the response to that. You know, we get a great example in Christ to be able to see his response to baptism he led. We get to see in the scripture a lot of other individuals who, who just decided that Christ is gonna be my savior and I'm gonna follow him and their response was baptism. So naturally, when we've made that decision and, and that's the time when we say Christ is the, is the ruler and king of my life, that is the time then to say, what's the next step? And baptism is the logical and perfect next step. So that's when it is. That's good, that's good. And <clears throat> to add to that, uh, <clears throat> for parents, uh, if you have kids that are asking the question, this question came up last service, um, how do I help my kid walk through that if they're asking that question? We actually have a resource called Big Splash. Uh, I didn't tell our kids team that we were gonna talk about it because I didn't know. Um, and so last service took all the ones we had. Um, so if you have a kid that's asking those questions and you want to get that resource, just encourage you to email kids at vrl.church and we'll send it over to you. A simple devotion to help your kids walk through it. Uh, we also have one for teenagers as well. So you can find me after service. We have a few of those printed or I can email it to you. Um, but to walk through uh, for teenagers who are asking that question. Sarah, next question for you. Uh, what does conflict resolution look like in a marriage? 
Well, that is one of my favorite subjects. So uh, that's a, it's a big question, but a lot of it begins with just pumping the brakes when you're in conflict to just pump the brakes and not seek to resolve it, but to seek to understand it. Lots of times we're fighting and we're fighting and we're fighting and we're fighting because we just don't understand why we're married to such a crazy person. <laughs> However, if we pump the brakes and really seek to listen, listen beyond the words they're saying, but listen to the heart behind it, then we might get a glimpse of what's driving that crazy person behavior. And if we can understand that, then we can come alongside of our person and link arms and go, yeah, let's see if we can work to a resolution. So step one, pump the brakes, and then seek to really understand your person. If you're embroiled in heavy-duty conflict with your person, it's probably there's a long, a long history of unresolved stuff. You might, need to, you might need some help, but the first place to start is really praying for your person, for to see how, how does God see your person and then to change your view on that. So stop, pump the brakes, and seek to understand. That's good, that's good. Uh, Dan, a uh, question for you. Um, how do we know the differences between our Christian faith and the Catholic faith? Second, second part of the question. Um, if I was baptized Catholic, should I be baptized again if I'm following uh, the Christian faith? Yeah, so I'll start with the second one. Uh, my wife was raised, you know, Catholic, you know, as well, so we do have some background in that in our family. If uh, you were baptized, you know, in the Catholic faith, or you were baptized as a Catholic, the presumption is you were baptized as an infant. And so we do something similar in our understanding of what the scriptures say, which is child dedication. It's more for the parent than it is for a child. An infant can't make a decision on whether or not they're gonna choose to follow Jesus the rest of their life. That is a decision that the parents are making, which is a great, we wanna honor what your parents did with you if you were baptized as a Catholic. That was amazing that your parents would care about your spiritual life so much that they would say, we want to make sure that this child is dedicated as unto the Lord. Now I won't tell you all the theology of where that came from, except to say, now you're at an age where you get to choose. And that age, as, as Tyler mentioned, could be you know, as young as elementary school, and, and, and there is no age limit to that. And so if God is leading, as Seth mentioned, for you to make the decision, to honor what your parents did, but to say, now this is my decision, then yes, we would encourage you for sure to get baptized. Now, just general, there's so much layers to the question you're asking, what's the difference between Catholicism you know, and Christianity? Um, the, some of the biggest you know, differences is that uh, our, our prayers are directed simply and only through Jesus Christ. Uh, we don't pray to or through uh, Mary or any of the other saints. We honor the saints. We honor, the, the Bible even tells us about honoring those who've gone before us, but there's no prayer process in the midst of that. We've already talked about baptism, you know, being one of those things. When it comes to uh, confession of sins would be another example. Um, our understanding is when the temple was, the curtain that, that was torn from the top to the bottom after Jesus died on the cross gave us an example of our direct connection with God that we don't have to go through a pastor or priest in order to talk directly to God, in order to bring confession, in order to you know, do anything as a response you know, to uh, an absolution of our sins that Christ has done all of that for us and we have direct access through, to, to him or through him because of what he's done on the cross. That's just, that's just a couple you know, uh, minor things, uh, but uh, let's make sure that we're always trying to find ways to honor you know, our Catholic brothers and sisters. Uh, we're, we're in such a divisive culture, we just can't wait for somebody to say something or do something that says, well, that's you versus 
instead of saying, no, there is some commonality, some strong commonality that historically goes back quite a few generations. Thanks. Uh, Jay, can you explain the difference between God's grace versus trying to earn your way to heaven by struggling to be perfect? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, the, the simple truth is that God, grace is an undeserved gift, right? That's, that's the simplest definition that I've come across. It's an undeserved gift. God gives us his grace. In other words, God gives us what he gives us from the very beginning. He gives us uh, forgiveness of sins, Christ on the cross. You know, he gives us blessings. He gives us the Holy Spirit dwelling within us to love us, to care for us, to uh, intercede for us. He gives all these amazing gifts to us simply because of his great love for us, and it's, it's not a gift that we can earn. So therefore, the, the definition of grace itself, in other words, you can't ever be worthy of that. What, what, what can we do in our lives? What could I do in my life that will be worthy of what Christ went through on the cross that provides all of this for me? I mean, there's, there's nothing that I could do that would make me good enough or worthy enough for that. So I have to simply receive God's gift of grace, knowing that I'll never be worthy of that grace. I'll never be worthy of that gift, no matter how hard I try, no matter how many good deeds. And it also brings up the question is, how good is good enough, right? Uh, you know, so if I get this good, then, then God's gonna be happy with me. And, but if I'm not, if I drop below the line and all those things are really the wrong question. The wrong question, or the right question is simply this. Do I believe that Jesus died on the cross? Do I believe that he rose from the dead? Have I accepted him as my Lord and Savior? That is the receiving of the gift of God's grace. That's what makes me worthy, not what I can do, but rather what Christ did for me. Great. All right, I'll throw myself one. Uh, how can we as parents best encourage our teens to come, to come join midweek? Both are hesitant since they don't know anyone. I'm gonna give you a couple practical things. One, don't forget that you're the parent, right? Like my kids don't always wanna go to school. They still go to school. <laughs> uh, because, not just because like we're supposed to, but because I believe that the education that they're getting is great. Like my kids go to a phenomenal school. The teachers care for them, they love them. Uh, I don't care if they feel like going to school or not. We're gonna go to school. If there's something preventing it, then we'll, we'll address that. Uh, and I think sometimes we live in this, uh, this post, my parents made me go to church and I hated it, uh, season, and I, I think it's okay as parents to say, hey, you're going to church. Now, we here at VRL have a lot of different ways that, that what it looks like to go to church for a teenager. It can look like this, right? Like this service is, is that. We have midweek, that happens on Wednesday nights. Uh, for middle school and high school students, uh, which is a great like welcome into the church. But if they wanna dive deeper into relationships, we have life groups that meet on Sunday nights. Uh, if your kid uh, really does not like crowds, uh, I would encourage them to get into a life group because they are smaller, they're more intimate, uh, they get to hang out. For high school, it happens in homes. For middle school, it happens here. Uh, safe places uh, to be. If your kid, like middle school, love like the rah-rah, the big thing, whatever, like we have a student-led worship band every single Wednesday night uh, that, that leads their peers in what it looks like to worship. We have fun, we have games, sometimes they're messy, sometimes they're ridiculous, um, but like we just have a lot of fun in, in the middle of that. We're always gonna push students uh, to dive deeper in Jesus. But here's the thing. I told my students that, have connect, that aren't connected or have struggled to stay connected, you won't be connected to something that you're not connected to. And it sounds silly, but like, 
if you will never be connected to something that you are not a part of. So just start, right? And I know a lot of students that were hesitant to come and be a part of our youth group. And then once they did, whatever that, that impetus was to make them go, once they did, they could find that connection. Does it happen automatically and immediately? Most of the time, no. But, and this is true for adults, true, right? Like, because many of you are hesitant to get into a life group or to do something more than just sit here. Um, my encouragement in 2024 is to start. Like, just jump in, try it, try a couple, right? Like, I tell students sometimes they leave our church and go find a different youth group. And I say, sweet. I hope that youth group is great for you. Like, because VRL does not have a corner on the market of youth groups or ministry or anything like that. It's about building the kingdom and helping students find their place. That's my heart. That's our student ministry team's heart. But as a parent, don't forget that you're a parent, right? Like, you can say like, hey, we're gonna do this. Maybe set it for a season. Hey, why don't we go for the month of January? Why don't we go for these couple of months? Why don't we go? Why don't I go with you? You can come hang out with us, that's fine. Uh, and if you want more specifics or if I can partner with your family, please email me, reach out to me, find me in the lobby. I would love to help walk alongside your family on what that looks like in the specifics. Let's go back to the marriage with Sarah here. Uh, we've gotten a couple of young people asking the questions, uh, when do you know it's time to get married? From a parent's perspective, never. <laughs> but I remember being 19, so. Um, I think that we, I think that, that is a decision that you need to make um, together as a team. But if you are still financially dependent upon somebody else, then you also get to make that decision in conjunction with the people who are paying your bills. So if you are in college and you're still on your parents' cell phone plan and they're still paying your car insurance and maybe your tuition, I think that your parents need a voice in that because they are still, honestly, your parents. When you are financially independent, you're paying your own bills and you no longer are on any of the contracts with your parents, and you're paying all of your own student loan debt, then I think then, then you get more independence in your larger decisions. Now we're gonna go to the spiritual side. When you join your life, you hitch your wagon to somebody else. You are determining a trajectory for the rest of your life, and you need wise people involved in your life, more wise than you understand. It is a long-term commitment, longer than a cell phone plan, shockingly, and you need people who can voice into your life the good and the bad. You need people who will say, hey, this is what's coming up and this is what you need to be looking for. You need people who are gonna join hands with you if you're considering marriage, because it's hard. And the number one thing, ladies and gentlemen, is you want somebody who is more passionately in love with Jesus Christ than they are with you. They are not going to become more passionately in love with Jesus as time goes on, typically. So you wanna fall in love with somebody who is so sold out to Jesus Christ that no matter what comes, they can go, you know what, this is really, really hard, you're really, really hard, I'm really, really hard, but I know God's got it, so we're gonna chase him down together. That's the number one determiner of whether you can make it through hard things. That's what statistics and studies say, is a common faith that is sold out. Thanks. Yeah. Oh, Sarah. All right, Dan, I'll throw out one more question for you as we wrap up here. Uh, what advice do you have for a season of waiting on the Lord and unsure about my future, especially after high school? Especially after high school? Yeah. So say it one more time. 
What advice do you have for a season of waiting on the Lord and being unsure about my future? Everything Sarah just said. <laughs> really, what you're, if you are unsure of your future, just look to your left and look to your right, so is everybody else. There is nothing certain about our future. The only certainty that we have in our future is that Christ is in it. And so do we have other people that can help guide us in the decisions that we're going to make today that will have ripple effects into the future? And so do you have other people, if you're just you and God, sometimes that's, that's a vacuum, and you're not actually hearing from God, you're hearing voices of your past, you're hearing voices of trying to please your parents, you're hearing voices of you need other people who only care about your best interest in the Lord that can sit down with you, that you trust, that can help you in the waiting season as you make determinations of what that future is going to be. And so just there's no hurry. I know we're in a very fast-paced culture, but there's just not as much of a hurry as what our culture says there is in terms of the things that you must do and the decisions you must make in order to be where you should be at whatever point in life that you think you're supposed to be at. God has other ideas. If you don't believe me, go back and read the Old Testament. You know, he has way different ideas for David. David never thought that would be his plan for his life. Abraham, nope. Never thought he'd be living in a foreign country and going to different places. Moses, God didn't even speak to him till he was you know, 80 years old. And so you're just like, what's going on here? Well, they had to be trust that God was in it, that God is good, that he loves you, and he does have a plan for you. Just continue to put your trust in him. Surround yourself with other people who also care about the same things. Awesome. Again, thank you so much for your vulnerability. And some of these questions, I wish we could have gotten through all of them. We can't because we're out of time. Uh, there's probably over 60 questions just from this service alone that we, we didn't get to cover. I would encourage you to keep that conversation conversation going, whether you feel like let's have a conversation with us or uh, other pastors on staff or in your life group. Uh, good another plug, jump into a life group. Uh, ask these questions, have these conversations with, with God-fearing people. Uh, thank you again. Dan, you wanna close this out? Yeah, can we thank these guys? You know, again, thank you guys. And they will be in the lobby if you have, there's like a burning question, like, no, I really want this question to be asked and answered. And this is why, again, we wanna encourage you to be in smaller groups so that you can have these kinds of dialogues and questions to be able to go on this journey. Now, as we close, we're also closing 2023. And so the best thing that we can do is go to the Lord. And so what I'm gonna do is I wanna lead us in a time of prayer, and I'm gonna ask you to talk to God in your own heart and your own mind, and I want you to thank him for some things in 2023, and I want you to kind of be open-handed for 2024. In fact, here's my one challenge before we go to prayer. Don't let this day end without you sitting down and having some time to say, God, what do you want for me? What do you want from me in 2024? Always open-handed, because we don't know the future, but at least we're going into it with a heart and mindset individually focused on Jesus. That's what God wants for you. That's what he wants from you, focused on him. Because here's what's gonna happen. We're gonna hit crazy town when the election season begins, which is called January. And when we do, it's gonna divide America. You're gonna hear all the craziness. World's gonna end. Most important election of our lifetime. I just want to remind you that God is still on the throne, that Jesus is still king, that we can entrust ourselves to him. 
And I'm gonna hit that message over and over and over that we are citizens of the kingdom of God first before any political party, that he's the one that unites us, that doesn't divide us. If you study the apostles, the first followers of Christ, he had somebody who was as far left as possible on his team, you know, who was a tax collector connected to Rome. And he had somebody as far right as you can imagine, a zealot who actually created uprising and violence to overthrow the same government to which another disciple was following. And he says, you guys come with me. We're going to make this a group together. And only Jesus does that. He unites us. And so we're going to kind of walk through that together, being reminded of the fact of who's in control and that we can put our anxieties and stresses down and that we can have our eyes on something greater. And so let's look back and let's look forward. Will you join me in prayer? Jesus, thank you so much for just this day and this year. Father, we just uh, wanna take a few moments just to thank you. And so bring to our hearts and minds those things, those people, those experiences from this past year. Father, I can't help but think of just even those cardboard testimonies again and just life change. Father, everybody in this room has had ups and downs and yet you were there in and through it all. Father, we thank you for the births that took place physically as well as spiritually. Father, we thank you and rejoice for those, those seasons and, and the good that took place. We also, Father, thank you for being there when we lost loved ones, when we suffered loss in jobs or finances or relationships. Father, we just thank you that you are our rock and you were there in the midst of the storm. Father, we thank you for guiding this church. We thank you for leading you know, this place. Um, Father, we are your people and we just want to bring glory to you. So as we look to 2024, Lord, as that day turns into a different year and in uh, just a little over 12 hours from now, we just bring ourselves to you. So I pray, Father, you would hear the prayers of the people in this room and online for what they have to say or what they're asking of you in 2024 now. Father, it's so clear on the horizon that there are some big things that are gonna affect our lives. There are things in our economy. There's things in politics. There's wars. There's rumors of wars. Lord, we don't know if even 2494 might be the year your son returns. We don't know. But Father, we entrust ourselves to you. And so Father, help us to have an anchor. Help us to have you be that anchor and in relationship with other people. And those days and those moments and those times when it gets hard, I pray, Father, that we would lean upon you more than ever individually, but also as a church. And so, Father, we just look forward just to being a part of something bigger than we could do it ourselves. And yet, Father, we pray that you would use us. First, deepen us, allow us to experience you at a deeper level, and also, Father, allow us to be used by you in the lives of other people in our region, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, and in our world for the time in which you've given us. Father, we thank you for 2023, and we thank you in advance for whatever is gonna come in 2024 because we know that you are in control. And it's to you that we pray these things. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, guys, have a great new year. And if you need prayer, head to the cross. Otherwise, we will see you this Thursday or next Sunday.